<laughs> but anyway, so she said, yeah, like she drank, I think it was like three or four liters of soda a day. Ooh. Yeah, like this is a serious amount of soda. So he was like, okay, well, let's give that up. Don't change anything else. Just give that up. And she did that for, it was a few months, but she lost like 40 pounds yeah, and she felt so much better. <laughs> and it was like, this is tiny change. She's like, okay, so what's next? Hi gang, this is Dr. Chris Frickman and you're listening to Vibrant Potential. Today's guest, Brock Armstrong, is a podcast veteran. I first learned about Brock on the first podcast I ever listened to, Ben Greenfield's show. Now... I listen to a number of shows. In fact, I like so many different shows for different reasons that when I pile my audiobooks on top of them, I rarely have enough time in a week to listen to everything I want. But as I said, back then, Ben's show was the first one I listened to, and I really enjoyed it. Brock, I later learned, was editing the shows as well as being the co-host. Ben and Brock sort of hammed it up in a casual way, but also spoke about some really cool topics, at least if you're into fitness and recovery and that sort of thing like I am. I reached out to Brock sometime later. I found out he's worked with a lot of great podcasts in the fitness and nutrition area with names like Mark Sisson and Endurance Planet, Dave Asprey. Uh, If you don't know who Dave Asprey is by name, I'm sure you've heard of Bulletproof Coffee. That's Dave's. He's worked with Abel James and some other really big names in the nutrition and fitness podcast arenas. So Brock has really been on tons of podcasts as well as behind the scenes, and he's soaked up a ton of info in the areas of fitness and nutrition and recovery. He's now running Skywalker Fitness and helping athletes with programs ranging from triathlon to running to strengthening and other supporting topics. Brock is graciously offering a 50% discount on a coaching consult with him to anyone who is a Vibrant Potential listener. Just email him and mention the discount code VIBRANT, and you can talk to Brock for half the usual rate. I'll post Brock's emails and websites and all those links and good stuff on the show notes page for this episode which you can find at www.drchrisfrickman.com slash Skywalker. Spelt just like Return of the Jedi. His email is brock at skywalkerfitness.ca. Yep, that's right, he's Canadian. For those of you who are regular listeners to my show, you know that authenticity is a big value of mine and Brock does not disappoint. We both discuss some of our own challenges with sleep routines, anxiety, and what works for us and what doesn't. We also talk quite a bit about loving what you do and checking in with yourself or your coach, if you have one, about why you're racing, if you're racing, or if you're not racing, maybe why aren't you racing? Also, stay tuned until the end of the show when Brock gives you his number one health tip, and I expand on that. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Here's to your vibrant potential. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges, as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, 
emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. Brock, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, no problem. Happy to be here. Today, I wanted to talk to you about the mental game of triathlon coaching. You are, geez, you are like a jack of all trades. Uh, I keep finding <laughs> out more and more. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you've been a singer. You've been a web developer. Uh, you've been a, a, a podcast co-host, which is where I first heard about you on, uh, used to ham it up with Ben Greenfield on his show. I, that was actually yeah. the first podcast I ever listened to was you two. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. cool. Yeah. So that was, I enjoyed that. And um, and you are also doing, it's called Skywalker Fitness, right? You're coaching? You're, yeah, you're skywalkerfitness.ca because I'm Canadian. CA. Nice, nice. As Very my nice. Uh, accent will probably give away when I say something like about. A boot. Yes, exactly. About. We don't say a boot, we say about. Okay, okay. It's just... <laughs> Although on the east coast of Canada, it's more a boot-like, but anyway, we can get into the finer points of pronunciations later. Okay, okay, very, very <laughs> good. So one of the big things that, that I found really fascinating about some of what you highlight, it was on your website or, or on your bio somewhere that I was reading about your past with pericarditis and depression and anxiety and some of these things that you've had to struggle with in your own personal life. And I was wondering if, if we could just start off with you giving like a little bit of a background story about, about that stuff, the health background, and then how you got into triathlon endurance. Sure. Yeah. I mean, everybody has a creation story, I guess. I love that it's, uh, it's become this superhero thing. Everybody who's got a, got a product to sell or a book to sell or something has to have a creation story. And um, I never really considered this to be my creation story, but I guess it, it would be. In uh, like back in the old days, I, I've always been active. I've always been fit and uh, and limber. I was a ballet dancer. That was my first profession out of high school. I was a professional ballet dancer, and then uh, oh, I didn't realize moved you into were a, a bunch pro. of yeah, yeah. That's that's how I made my living for a number of years until I dislocated my hip and got a bunch of stress fractures in my foot oh, um, yeah. just from being a stupid kid and pushing through injuries. It was totally my own fault. So, like. Um, just didn't know when to say, I need to sit on the bench coach for a while. I pushed through the injuries and made the injuries worse. But that, um, that sort of started me down a path of, of just a, a lot of really interesting jobs and careers. And I always say my default setting is if I'm walking down the street and I see a help wanted sign, that my first thought is, I could do that. <laughs> and I really, uh, I, I really enjoy going through life that way, although it drives my girlfriend nuts because like, I get emails from saying, hey, we have this job opening. I'm like, should I apply? And she's like, no, <laughs> you have a job. What are you talking about? Um, but anyway, yeah, so eventually in 2003, developed a, an infection in my pericardium, my pericarditis or, or myocarditis. They don't really differentiate that much because, well, there's no point. And spent a lot of time in and out of the hospital, um, like kept passing out, actually like woke up with the paddles on my chest, you know, the clear oh, wow. paddles. You really, you actually remember that, huh? 
I remember waking up and seeing the they're, they're actually stickers. They're not paddles, which is kind of oh, disappointing. Oh, the you actually more they, modern. You didn't yeah. have the ones from like the 1960s? No, the ones they rubbed together and go, <laughs> clear. They just like put these stickers on you. But I woke up and like saw that, looked over, saw my girlfriend in the corner of the, the ER, little curtained off area crying and, and stuff. And I was like, oh, something bad just happened. But anyway, so uh, yeah, I got got through that. But um, needless to say, when you have sort of like those near death experiences, in quotation marks, because I guess I wasn't necessarily in any real danger of of dying, hmm. but it sure feels like it. Like when your heart actually stops and and you're <laughs> covered with uh, stickers and there's doctors everywhere, nurses everywhere, and stuff. It's it does throw you for a bit of a loop. So I developed a bit of a well, not a bit, quite a, an acute anxiety, uh, general anxiety disorder for, for a while and uh, went on some SSRIs, went for cognitive behavior therapy, which is amazing. Mm. I really and I firmly believe this, that people should, they should teach it in school. Mm-hmm. Like in elementary school, you should be learning some of the the, the procedures and methods that you actually learn in, in something like cognitive behavior training. Like just being able to acknowledge your own feelings the way that other people are affecting you and how you're letting them affect you um ways to take yourself out of your own head like i always play this game now one of the things i learned in cognitive behavior training was um pretending you have a flashlight and as soon as you get like wrapped up in in your own thoughts a little too much and you start to spiral whether that's anger or sadness or anxiety or whatever it is to get yourself out of your head you pretend you have this flashlight and you just shine it on things like let's say you're on the subway it's like i'm aware of that woman wearing the green dress standing underneath the ad for viagra (laughs) and Mm -hmm. she's holding a purse that's brown that looks like that guy over there and you just start like pointing that flashlight at different things around and it's amazing how quickly you can get yourself out of your own head it um, kind of brings you more into the present moment instead of exactly, worrying yeah. about whatever might be happening or something. Yeah, like when you get into that, when they call fortune telling, when you start going, oh no, I'm going to get to work and I'm going to be late and my boss is going to be mad and then I'm going to get my performance review and that's going to lead to they're going to fire me and then I'll be destitute and I'll be homeless and like that spiraling sort of uh, fortune telling is is really the, the way that they refer to it. Um, yeah, like if you have that sort of feeling or if it's even just an anxious feeling of, oh, that person sneezed over there, I'm going to get a cold and that means that I'm going to be sick for this big presentation or this trip that's coming up or something. You start to do those sort of spiraling things, just shut it down and start acknowledging your surroundings rather than being stuck in your own head. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a, but anyway, like I, I encourage all of your listeners, if you have any sort of issues like that. And even if you don't look into cognitive behavior training, there's some really great books out there um, that help with that. Yeah. So anyway, when I finished, uh, well, I didn't, guess I didn't finish that, but after the myocarditis was gone, um, dealt a lot with the anxieties that sort of stemmed from that and just from life and eventually got off the SSRIs and still use a lot of those anxiety trainings to today. And, and I guess getting back to your question, um, I, I'm very open about all of that stuff is on my website, on any interviews I've ever done, because I think one of the biggest issues with anxiety, with anxiety disorders is people assume they're the only one or they assume that they're 
in a very small group of people who have this anxiety problem. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you find out, well, as soon as you start talking about it, I was amazed. And I, I've heard this from other people too. As soon as you start being open about your own depression or anxiety, people are like, oh yeah, I have this same thing. Or I was on SSRIs too. Or my cousin was dealing with the same thing. And it's amazing. Like everybody's got some sort of connection to it on one level or another. Oh yeah. And that in itself just makes you feel so much better like immediately just knowing that you're not alone and you're not some weirdo. So so I've made it a point in my life to be really open about about my own dealings with anxiety and depression and and my health issues as well. As aside from it being my creation story, which is like the whole uh, the whole thing with the myocarditis was what got me into marathons in the first place. It was my cardiologist uh, weeks and weeks after you maybe even months. Running. He said, you should, you know, your heart's fine, Brock. It's really just, you're just having anxiety. You know what you need to do? You need to run a marathon or something like that to prove to yourself that your heart's okay. Because I was, after the myocarditis was gone, no damage, heart's absolutely fine. And I was still having trouble believing that, having been ill for, for a while and just getting caught up in that anxiety. So he actually said to me, and I have no idea at this point if he meant it or not, if he was being like serious or if he was just being flippant, but he said, you should run a marathon or something. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll run a marathon. <laughs> so pretty much the next day, my cousin was a, a triathlete and I got him to start coaching me and I ran a marathon and I got addicted and then I got my coaching certificate and I got more coaching certificates, started working with people like Ben Greenfield and Mark Sisson and Brad Kearns and all these like really big names in, uh, in athletics and especially triathlon. And, um, yeah, and then my launched my coaching business in 2010, it was, okay. so I've been coaching now for, for six years ish full time. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been, been really cool, but yeah, so that's my, that's my creation story. <laughs> got an infection in my heart, got some really, uh, acute anxiety overcame both and I'm feeling, feeling really good these days. Nice. Nice. It's funny how you talk about the creation story or like, it is, I do hear a lot about the hero's journey these days. Like you kind of hear about that all over the place. Joseph Campbell and, and stuff did a lot about that like decades ago. And, and I feel like now it's like really in the forefront of a lot of people's minds and stuff. But at the same time, it's not like it's a thing that's just being fabricated. It's just a way of like condensing down, you know, what someone's been through so that someone, so you can relay it to someone. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. kind of a way of making it interesting, too. So, um, well, it lends credibility too. like if you're it's hard when you're suffering um, in any sort of way, whether it's financially, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically. If you go to somebody who's clearly not suffered in their life or doesn't understand, doesn't have a connection to whatever you're going through, mm-hmm. it's really hard to take their advice. And and that's unfortunate because those people have as much to offer as everybody else. But there is this natural inclination to want to seek out somebody who really understands yeah. on a really personal level. Me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think having having that creation story, have being able to sort of articulate your your connection to whatever somebody is suffering from is just a it's a natural thing that people are drawn to. Absolutely. And and unfortunately, I think some people use that as a marketing tool, um, whether it's right or not. But I think it is uh, it is valuable in in a lot of ways. Oh, that's interesting. So so you said, unfortunately, people use it as a marketing tool. How, how do you feel like that's 
unfortunate. You mean like the people are like making crap up or something or? Well, they're either making crap up or maybe um, just placing a little too much importance on it or finding ways to spin it. Like I, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a fine line, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure. Well, it's, a, it's an interesting topic for me. And um, a lot of my listeners are either, they're either entrepreneurs or they're thinking about being entrepreneurs. Mm, like, yeah. You know, that, that's like very common, like one, one of those two. And the thing about marketing, I think that like any, any like small business owner slash entrepreneur mostly can identify with is like, wow, I really have this, this product or this service that I genuinely feel. This is, I, I find this is most people at least. They're not trying to take advantage of people. It's like most people are like, I genuinely feel that this is a product or service that could really help a lot of people. But man, it's just people don't know about it. Like, I, how yeah. do I get people to know about it? And that essentially is like, you, as you're in business for yourself, you, feel, you realize it's like, holy crap, I really got to do some marketing around this stuff. Like, and you have to like figure out what that is, whether that's, I, maybe I should have a website or, you, yeah. you know, to, on whatever level that that person is on their journey. Uh, marketing is, it's pretty important if you've got something that you want to share. So... That's why I just say, oh, interesting that you say unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it is a, it's definitely a really fine line. And I, I like what you said about the, um, you need to solve a problem as an entrepreneur, or as a new business owner, or when you're creating a product of any type, you've got to solve somebody's problem. You can't just come up with a product that you think is cool. I mean, you can, and maybe you'll get lucky and the pet rock will be the next big thing. But <laughs> even the pet rock was solving a problem. Like people were lonely enough that they were willing to buy a pet rock. <laughs> so they're really solving a loneliness problem. And that's, that's sort of the first step. But then, yeah, when it comes to marketing, that's the next step is sure. Okay. I've got this great product that solves problems for people and I've listened to, to what they actually need and I've got this great thing. Now, how do I let people know about that? Yeah. And I think that's where the creation story or that's where, that's where you have to really, it's a two way street with your, uh, with your clients, with your clientele. Like you just, there's a lot of like talking, people talk about website AB testing. So you have like you have two different home pages just for people who don't know you on your website. You'll have two different home pages that are slightly different. Maybe things are different colors, different wording, different pictures and stuff like that. And when somebody goes to your website, they either get version A or version B on the back end. You can be tracking which one is leading to more clicks, more conversions, more sales, all of that kind of stuff. Um, as a as a coach, I didn't necessarily do that kind of thing, but I did notice on a very immediate level that when I would talk about my own health struggles, my own anxiety struggles, my own depression struggles, people responded to that really well, a lot yeah. better than me talking about how I was a middling <laughs> marathon runner. Or I was a, a sort of, yeah, occasionally I was top 10 in my age group. It's like, it's not very exciting. It's not very interesting people didn't grab onto that and didn't gravitate to it. But as soon as I, I appeared on a podcast called Endurance Planet and talked for a good hour about anxiety and, and depression, I got like 15 emails within the first 24 hours of people just saying, thank you so much for talking about that. And thank you for, for all the tips that you did. And, and even just like, thanks for being out there. Validating my experience. 
Exactly. Yeah. People felt good about hearing about my story. So in some ways, I'm almost being disingenuous, I guess, by saying, unfortunately, people use that for marketing because I definitely I saw the response. It was a really honest, visceral response from the audience, from the from my potential clientele and realized, okay, this is what I have to offer. So not only did I use that as a marketing quote unquote tool, Mm -hmm. but I also tailored my coaching service towards that so I changed the way I was approaching it. I wasn't going after I stopped going after like big pro athletes and trying to make people top 10 finishers and things like that and really have focused in on the minutiae of the day-to-day life so how do I get better sleep how do I fit my workouts in around my life not the other way around not fitting life around the workouts but fitting the workouts around the life because life has to come first for for all of us people who are making a living, have family, have kids, have interests outside of triathlon. So I took that idea and have really turned it into my niche market is finding finding people and working with people who are more interested in increasing their ability to live a more interesting, better life than they are in getting up at 4 a.m. and swimming 4,000 meters and rushing off to work with their tie half undone and then getting on the spin bike at the at the office gym at lunch and pounding out the time and barely getting any sleep and not seeing their kids and all of that kind of stuff so so it's uh yeah it's a <laughs> it's been an interesting journey and it definitely the creation story and the being open with what makes you tick i guess can also can feed back into your entrepreneur life, can feed into your business, can also feed into your marketing strategy, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. So I, I shouldn't paint it with such a broad brush. It's kind of like the force, Brock. You can <laughs> it use is. it for good or you can use it for bad. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the dark side of marketing. So I really, really want to talk to you about sleep and some of your strategies about diets and about how you get sure. to... As, get I, to as I sip my Cordyceps to- uh, coffee here, yeah, it's, yeah. it's 7.30 a.m. Where, where I am right now. So audience have to excuse me for being a little inarticulate and also for the slurping sounds. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Slurping my Cordyceps coffee. All right. Well, as you take that sip, I'll have my green drink here. Nice, nice. We're so we're the we're like the paradigm of health here. Oh yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, actually, okay. I am going to get into this sleep thing just for a second. I'm going to say it right now because I I really want to come back to this. But I want to fi- I want to ask you why people why you find that people race because I'm guessing you might get into that with your clients like. Why is this important to you? It, just based off of like how you're talking about it, but but I am just gonna w- let's go down this little ro- uh, hole rabbit hole of sleep really quick, particularly in regards to someone that is managing some anxiety. Uh, in the pre-show conversation, you told me that last night you went to bed at six thirty p.m. Or no, 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 I had so, so dinner sorry, I said at six. Wrong. So you you had your last intake of calories or food yeah. or at at 6 30 p.m and then you said you didn't go to bed until what 10 or 10 30 yeah i think i was in bed by like 10 quarter after 10 and then just read for a little while i was asleep by 10 30 okay but then i woke up at about 5 30 i think 5 40 okay it's just because i knew i had this coming up and i wanted to have uh have a sharp brain yeah, or at yeah. least fish. okay cool so so here's my question for you and this is me you know 
bearing some of my like uh, not, you know, here I am drinking my green drink and stuff. And I mean, I do try to talk about the things I do that are healthy because that's where I'm trying to guide people, obviously, is to be healthy. And I'm also human. And one of the things that I find in my own life is that I am much more able to make the healthy choices when I like in the earlier parts of my day, like the first three quarters of my day or something like that. And then after I would say around, I mean, there's there's a couple breaks for me around 6 p.m. is usually like after six it gets way harder for me to like motivate myself. If I haven't gotten my workout in by 6 p.m., it's a getting more and more likely yeah. I might not get it in because it's a lot of times it's 7 o'clock at night. I don't want to work out anymore. So yeah. I lose a little bit of motivation around 6. And then probably around between 8 or 9, I want to say, health almost goes out the window. Not really all the way, but I mean, in comparison to the way that I am the rest of the day, if I'm snacking on some like stupid carby thing, it's it's at night. And yeah. so I actually know that if, if I could not eat for the couple hours before I go to bed, that would lead to better sleep. Yeah. But because of a little bit of my own anxiety... It's like, I'm like, oh, I just, uh, I've been working hard all day. I've been working out, being with my, with my daughters, working on my business, doing all the things I do. And like now it's, it's almost like I'm like, now I deserve to have downtime. And yeah. like, maybe yeah. I like put on some Netflix and, you know, start eating some, you know, junky thing. It's still gluten-free and it's still, you know, hitting some of my things that I, that I don't sacrifice, but I'm like, maybe I'm eating potato chips that are organic or some stupid thing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, not a healthy thing. Um, but it's all, it's always at night. And so I'm yeah. curious and I know that has to do with my anxiety. So, um, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I, I wanted to kind of paint that picture and I'm curious, how do you get yourself to just be like, okay, cool. It's six 30. I'll have like a good meal. And then you're like, four hours just I'm not gonna eat I'm just gonna like do a little bit of healthy reading before bed and stuff and it sounds like an idyllic picture so how do you have any tips about that or how you do that or anything absolutely yeah and I don't mean to and I, I certainly I'm with you I, I have the same inclinations and I definitely I'm not one of those people that's a hundred percent this is how I live my entire life I have evenings where I go off the rails Absolutely. And like even a few nights ago, I had a couple of beers, like a couple of really big beers, like Shame way too you. late at night. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like Mark Sisson, I think, has a, a really great idea of doing the 80-20 rule. I know he's not the yeah, only yeah. one who's come up with that. But as long as you're aiming for 80% success, then the other 20% is what uh, what he refers to as a sensible indulgence. Mm. And that means that you know what it's going to do to you like how it's going to affect your sleep, how it's, that's going to affect your next day, how that's going to affect your weight loss or whatever you're working on. But you take that and you own it. So you know what? Tonight, I'm going to let myself have a couple of beers. I'm going to have a snack. I'm going to like have some organic corn chips and some nice organic salsa and some yogurt mixed in or something. And I know this isn't going to make my, I'm going to sleep worse because I'm having alcohol late at night. I'm having food late at night. That's going to affect my performance tomorrow, but I'm okay with that. I'm going to own this. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it because it should be, this is an, an indulgence. You should enjoy it. If you're not, then it's not a treat, right? It's a, 
Oh I, God, I, kicking yourself all guilty and yeah. Well, and that's just a that's just a bummer. And then it it's not a treat. Then it becomes like the yeah sacrificial lamb or something. Yeah, so yeah. so make it a real treat and really enjoy it. But I mean, getting back to what you were saying, the decision fatigue that happens throughout the day. Like we know this is a real thing. It's kind of like you have a bucket full of decisions, and once that bucket is empty you're going to make terrible decisions for the rest of the day. And that's always why the evening is the worst time because you've used up, let's say your, your work day is filled with decisions all day long. Like from the moment you wake up, what am I going to have for breakfast? Am I going to have a second cup of coffee? Which route am I going to take to get to work? These are all decisions that are pulling out of your decision bucket. By the time your day ends and dinner comes around, your bucket's pretty much empty. And you're just, it's willpower alone at that point. Good and luck. willpower, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> willpower is... It's not our friend in, in most cases. And that's where rules, like hard and fast rules, things that you do not break unless you're doing one of your treat nights and then you have to you have to have rules around those as well. But these hard and fast rules that you can just say, like last night, for example, I knew that today is going to be a long day. I'm leaving for New York first thing in the morning. I've got a lot of stuff to do starting with this podcast this morning. It was in my best interest to say tonight, eat dinner, nothing to eat afterwards, do my stack, my sleep stack, which is a, a bunch of different sort of um, supplements and vitamins and stuff, mm. wear the blue blocking glasses in the evening, protect my sleep, make sure I'm going to get a good night's sleep, like do everything in my power to protect my sleep tonight. And that will set me up for this morning. I still haven't eaten this morning and I'm, I'm going to fast for a little while, do an inter intermittent fast until about 10 o'clock because I know that's going to keep me mentally sharp. I've already had a little bit of uh, MCT oil, some brain octane in capsule form and stuff. So really just putting, stacking the deck in my favor mm -hmm. when the advantage is there. And this is the same thing I talk about with my athletes. If you want to have a, a really high-functioning um, athletic career, you can't go and eat. Sure, Usain Bolt is famous for his eating chicken McNuggets mm. before the Olympics and mm. running 100 meters in record-breaking time, but he's an anomaly. Most of us can't eat McDonald's and be high-functioning, high-performing. So stacking the deck in favor of your success means sleep. It means nutrition. It means also playing around with what works for you. I've spent years trying to hone my my own sleep technique and now I've got breathing techniques I've got supplements that I take I've got things like not eating after 7 p.m. all of that kind of stuff but these are things that I've tried over years and years and now I know exactly what I need to do to to protect my sleep and the the times of day that work the best for me too some people can't go to bed at 10 o'clock they'd be like I just lay there in bed tossing and turning well okay well what time does work for you Mm -hmm. And how how do you feel when you wake up as well? So so a lot of it is experimentation, but a lot of it is having those rules in place so you it takes the decision part of your day off. When you start thinking, I'm going to have those organic chips and a uh, and a beer at 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. or whatever, you're like, nope. I'm I the rule says no. Today is not one of those days takes the decision away, just shuts it down right away, and that's, uh, and that's that. So did you go from, like, ballet classes in Minsk, uh, and you were, like, out partying every night and 
swilling swilling all types of uh russian beer and <laughs> not so much in minsk it was unless well i had american dollars so i could go to the hard currency clubs i mean we're talking this is back in 1993 yeah yeah so like this is like old old school russia yeah yeah. Um, yeah so if you had american dollars which i did you could go to the hard currency bars and actually kind of whoop it up a little bit but it was still yeah the the draw was not not quite so much there yeah. we usually we'd go down to the corner there was a little kiosk on the corner about two blocks away from the ballet school and you bring your pickle jar and they'd fill your pickle jar up with beer oh really yeah, okay. <laughs> and then you take it back, you put the lid on, and go back to the back to the dorm and and drink our pickle jars of beer. But <laughs> sometimes I don't think it had any alcohol in it. It just tasted like moldy water. Oh God, it was not good stuff, but it was fun. So okay, that is funny actually, pickle jars of beer. But but actually, I was poking fun a little bit. But I but what I'm trying to get to is you said this has been kind of like years in the making and stuff. So and and I'm just thinking about someone who. Like, how do you go from, okay, I'm completely wildly, like, overly indulgent, you know. Yeah, just off the rails. Yeah, yeah. And, like, maybe I'm having whatever, however many drinks a night, like, and I'm I'm eating whatever until I kind of pass out on the sofa or something, watching the boob tube or whatever. Yeah. And do you find that people have more luck with baby steps of, like, all right, cool. Well, just just don't watch TV after nine then for for a month or two, or you know, like that. Or or do you find like, boom, let's take like we're changing everything right now. I I'm going to answer that with a yes because it there is no one size fits all even when it comes to the approach. Like some people, and you hear this all the time if you go to like conferences like Paleo FX or or um, the the Bulletproof Conference, or any of those sort of, you hear all these stories of people who have drastically changed their lives, and they say like, oh, Rob Wolf, when I read your book about paleo, it changed my life. I lost 100 pounds, and I got my brain back, and I got rid of my eczema, and it's like this amazing turnaround story. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who read the book and went, all right, I'm doing this. And they throw everything out. They literally go through their house, get rid of all the, the foods, all the, all the dangerous, toxic stuff that they should, shouldn't be having. And they just go whole hog. And this is where, if I go back to what I was saying before about having the rules in place. Yeah. So some people identify, they're like, I'm a vegan now. And they go whole hog into veganism. And it's just like this life-changing moment. They feel amazing. They lose all the weight. Everything changes for them because they were able to put these rules, these hard and fast rules in place where I don't do this and this and this anymore. I do do this and this and this. And that works really well with with those really extreme diets like vegetarian or or paleo or just having a primal like Mark Sisson's got the 21 day transformation where you literally go through your kitchen and throw out food and and stuff like that. And that really that works for some people amazingly well. Other people, it works amazingly well for about a week. Right, or yeah. 10 days mm-hmm. and then they're like screw this and they go to mcdonald's and and everything and then once they're off the rails they stay off the rails i think they have a lot of trouble getting back on the bandwagon and for those people and this is again you have to experiment with yourself and you have to know yourself what kind of person you are and how desperate you are i guess as well um some people respond really well to like things like you were saying like make one change at a time and my friend dean dwyer who wrote the book um uh make makeshift happen 
no. Oh no, I can't remember the name. Anyway, he's written a book about uh, about changing, about changes. Um, he talks about a friend of his who she wanted to lose a bunch of weight, and she tried every diet and just fell off every diet. So he said, "Okay, you know what? What's the what's one thing that you can give up?" And she said, "Pop, like soda pop, or yeah, you guys call it in America soda, not pop." Um, Depends on the state. Yeah. Yeah, Coke. That's, they yeah, call it yeah, in yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I love that. It's like, that's not pop. Um, <laughs> so he was like, okay, well, let's give that up. Don't change anything else. Just give that up. And she did that for, it was a few months, but she lost like 40 pounds yeah, and I she felt so much better. <laughs> and it was like, this is tiny change. She's like, okay, so what's next? Like, so she sees the success from that one small change. Yeah. And, and that sort of turned her into like a, a change addict, <laughs> basically. Yeah. She's like, okay, yeah, right. what else, what else can I get rid of? Okay, I'm going to sleep more. So she started protecting her sleep a little bit more and mm-hmm. using things like blue blocking glasses and blackout curtains and earplugs and stuff and really getting more sleep and just sort of one change at a time got her to maybe not her end goal because I think it's a, a constant tweaking and twiddling of, of your life, um, once you sort of understand that small changes can result in in big uh, big outcomes, it's uh, it's a little addictive, gotta say. Like I I think that's where this whole biohacking yeah. uh, movement really falls into place, or the quantified self is. We love to just tweak little things, and when you see those successes from those small tweaks, or or failures, where it's like, oh well, that doesn't work for me. What's next? Let's try something else. It's addictive. And and it doesn't have to be just healthy. Like we always talk about weight loss, but I also know somebody who uh, who decided that they would always pay their visa off the same day that they would make this expenditure because they were just debt was not out of control, but it was getting them down mm-hmm. the amount of debt. So said, okay, when I go to the grocery store and I use my visa card, when I get home, I have the bill in my hand. I go, I log on pay that amount off on the visa card even before it shows up just so the money is gone so it's not an incurring debt and a few years later debt free like just that one small change of i'm going to pay the visa off every time i use it resulted in this huge um well this huge lifestyle difference of yeah, being sure. being debt free so how, so how it doesn't have take in that case oh you know i think it was uh, like 4 years or something <laughs> this oh. is a long time he was pretty in debt but still, like oh, yeah, still, for, right. for okay. years, that's uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. But so yeah, I guess to get way back to your yeah, question, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are, there is no one size fits all for how to implement your diet as much as there is no one size fits all for your diet <laughs> or for your lifestyle change or or whatever. You have to know yourself and you have to be willing to to give things a try. I also think it, it comes down to a lot of how desperate are you? Mm. Like how, how desperate is your situation? I think the people that I hear at like the paleo conferences that are talking about their life was changed by this book, their life had to have a margin of error that was a lot bigger than say yours or mine. They were in- morbidly to- obese or they had fibromyalgia or... Or uh, all three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, yeah like, right when you have more and more symptoms and more and more issues, changing your life for the better is, I hate to say easier, um, cause it's not, it's a huge lifestyle, but you have, like uh, you have, of a barn. Yeah. yeah, you have, you have a bigger range of improvement there. 
Right, right. And you could or make potential almost any change and something's going to get better, probably, maybe, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, most likely, unless it's, uh, yeah, unless you've really bought into the wrong thing. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. No size, there's not one size that fits all. And I, I think it's valuable to give yourself permission to try things. I do a ton of 10 day detoxes with people. And, mm-hmm. and that is very, very strict. You know, like you said, like a, a transformational thing. It, it, I used to do 28 days more commonly, but I found 10 days, like people, anybody can do 10 days usually. Yeah. So it's like 10 days, we just, and it's like really, really strict for 10 days. And then when, let's say your, um, your diet's at one place, you know, you're, you come in, you're eating fast food, you're drinking all the pop, you're doing all that stuff. And you do like a crazy, like, just change where you're eating like practically, you know, practically vegan with like, you know, maybe some fish or something. And, and like, and then after 10 days, you start adding some foods back in. But then it's like, wow, this fresh squeezed orange juice seems like such an amazing treat as opposed yeah. to like, you know, putting the Mountain Dew back in or whatever. So, yeah. um, there's so many different ways. So I just was curious what your way was. So that's great. So I do want to get back to, to the actual question I was going to ask. And what do you find? Any commonalities, anything like that? You've trained what over? I mean, you've trained hundreds and hundreds of athletes. Yeah, I've lost count. I think I'm over 300 now at this point. I used to, I sort of cheated though. In the first few years, I was, I was coaching like large groups. Oh, oh So oh, okay. now I only coach uh, individuals. Oh, gotcha, um, gotcha. like sort of a one-on-one sort of thing. But back when I first started coaching, I was actually coaching like groups of like 20 or 25 people at once. So oh, okay. The numbers well, sound really the, impressive. You're but. not the only one that does that. I, I know this business coach it was like, oh, yeah, I've coached over 10,000 people. And I, if you try to do the math about like, how long have you been coaching 10,000 people? It's like, oh, yeah. And then I found out later, it's like, well, yeah, you know, I used to like lead these like vast numbers of people through this like phone coaching thing or something. Yeah. It's like, Oh, okay. So anyway, but what are the commonalities that you find about why do people really end up racing? Like explain for the people, most people that are listening to this are pretty active in one way or another. They're definitely not all triathletes, but yeah. most of them are like, you know, Hey, I know exercise is important. And you know, most people too are not just, exercising to exercise because like my doctor told me I should most yeah. people that are listening to this are like they're actually into it for one reason or another but do you ever get into the psyche of your athletes and say well let's really like tweak out why are you why are you doing this like why is this important to you yeah I've actually that that is something that's really near and dear to my heart I have convinced um, clients in the past to stop racing mm. Because exactly for for the kind of reasons that you're you're sort of alluding to, which is it's an unhealthy obsession at a certain point. There's a lot of reasons why people get into into doing the extreme like or the more extreme athletics, like beyond just going and playing on a on a weekend beer league or or going out with a running group on Saturdays because it's a fun thing to do before going for brunch. Um, some people really hang their self worth on how well they do in these races Mm. um and they shouldn't be i mean they're not professionals there's there's no reason why they should be doing better than they are but it's still it becomes a source of anxiety and um an an unhealthy obsession for some people and i'm just saying some people 
but I'm just saying that it really is an important thing to look at why you're why you're doing it, what it really means to you, and the people who are most successful and and enjoy it the most are the people who sometimes came to me because they mostly wanted to to lose some weight and and get in shape, but then they get really obsessed or really into the just the powerful feeling that you get from having a supple, strong body. Mm-hmm. And the things that come from that, the better health choices, the better meal choices, the better sleep choices, the better stress choices, all of that comes along with trying to be a more high functioning, um, quote unquote athlete, because they're, they're not professional athletes, but they start to consider themselves that. So their day to day choices become easier. They become better. They become a little more, um, it's a lot harder for them to go off the rails in, in some ways. And I think, those people I feel like are the most successful because they're not hanging their self-worth on an outcome, like a race outcome. They're hanging it on the fact that they're feeling better than they did 10 days ago or two weeks ago or two years ago or whatever that is. Um, at a certain point, these sorts of, especially Ironman athletes, the, the ultra running athletes, it, it's not a healthy endeavor. Basically, right. anything I always say, anything over a half marathon training regime is not healthy anymore. Like you're actually putting yourself, you're exercising too much for it to be healthier. Your body doesn't differentiate between stress. Like exercise is stress. Your boss yelling at you is stress. Your um, not getting enough sleep is stress. All that stress piled on top of your body has the same um, hormetic outcome, or potentially or destructive outcome as everything else. So just taking a stressful life and piling more stress on it or extending the the duration of that exercise stress that you're piling on by training for something like a marathon or an Ironman, something you've got to protect the rest of your life. Otherwise, it becomes an unhealthy thing, not just mentally, but physically. And I think it's really easy in today's society. I, I feel like we're having a little bit of a, a renaissance right now in in the fitness world where we're starting to acknowledge the fact that high intensity training, short duration, um, that kind of stuff is is healthier. But for so long, we were so focused on calories in, calories out that it was like, okay, I need to train for something long distance because I'll burn all of these calories. And when I finish my marathon training, I can eat whatever I want because I burned <laughs> 1500 calories on this six hour slog. But, and then then you look at, okay, well, not only did you beat your body up, your joints, your muscles, you spiked your cortisol levels, and then you went out and you had a huge 1,500-calorie Starbucks thing with a crap load of sugar, and then and you're not sleeping because you got up too early, and then it, it, it's obvious that this is not a healthy endeavor. Um, so, so definitely the way that I approach coaching is to first protect the human, then protect the sport. So, um, I, I have fired clients in the past that have gotten to the point where they're just, they're just destroying themselves. They're making their life miserable. They're making their family miserable. They're making themselves sick. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you're going to continue to do this against my best advice, you're going to do it with somebody else. You're going to go, you have to find another coach or do it alone because this is, I, I don't want to be any part of this. Hmm. How do you notice that when, in people? Uh, well, you're I, not, you're, mostly I'm most coaches aren't getting together like face to face. Like that certainly can happen, but I think the most common coaching is, is virtual usually, you know, it is. So how, how do you recognize it? 
Yeah, well, the great thing about uh, about being a virtual coach these days is things like Skype. And uh, I use a system called Training Peaks. Uh, I insist on weekly emails, if not more often, from all of my athletes. There's actually a reminder in their schedule every week to email me and give me the update for the next week. I only do this training programs a week at a time mm. because I can never know like if somebody's feeling exhausted or they had a really long week or or whatever, I don't want to just automatically pile on a whole bunch of workouts the next week because they obviously need to recover. Right. Um, so once a week, at least, they have to check in with me, um, tell me what the plan is for, for the next week, like what days are long work days, what kind of family commitments do they have, all that kind of stuff so I can work around it, but also um, just how are they feeling. And we do Skype check-ins. If they live, some of them, my athletes live in Vancouver where I am. And when I was in Toronto, I had a, a lot of athletes that I was coaching out there. So we would go for coffee. We'd go for breakfast mm. and just basically shoot the breeze. Like I, <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing the level of intimacy the coach can have with their athletes. If, um, I guess if you're open to it and, and willing to listen, I feel like if you've got a coach that doesn't know how many kids you have and what your job is like and uh, and what your financial situation is like and, and that kind of thing, then they're probably not doing a very good job and hopefully you're not paying them very much because they're, they're not worth it. Um, they should be involved in, in your life in, in a very um, tangible way. I feel anyway. And that's, uh, I mean, that is exactly how, how I recognize these kind of things and how I work around them. Um, how just, I just things that they let, they let slip kind of, of like, like how stressed they are or something like that. Yeah. Oh, well this one person in particular that I'm thinking of, we went for lunch and she actually was in tears halfway through the, the lunch because she started telling me how like things were a real challenge for her and they were, things were piling up. And then eventually, like after we talked for a little while, she was actually in, in tears, like not sobbing, but mm -hmm. she was welling up. And I'm just like, you know, that's, that's a really good indication right there. We were just talking like friends. And as the, I'm getting kind of choked up thinking about it. It was a really, it was a really powerful moment when I said, you know what, you're not training with me anymore. And she like that's when the waterworks really started. And she's like, "Thank you, thank you so much for giving me permission to not have to do this anymore." And it's like you didn't need my permission, but I'm glad that I'm able to give it to you. Oh, wow! Like she just needed somebody to say it's okay to not train for races right now. Your life is stressful. Your your job is stressful. Your relationship is not necessarily doing what it should be doing you do not need to be concentrating on something else. You don't need to be piling, piling another stress on your life. Let's get this sorted out first, and then maybe you'll come back to racing. Yeah, it's a really and, healthy perspective. It is, and I think we lose track of that on, uh, like, hobbies become, hobbies are supposed to be fun, and and they become obsessions, and yeah. and humans we we love to be obsessed with things it's like whether it's netflix or whether it's scrapbooking or whether it's marathoning it can be a healthy obsession or it can be an unhealthy obsession and yeah. and it is hard to tell sometimes and it's hard to give yourself permission to slack off quote unquote yep. from anything that you think especially something like exercise where we've been programmed to think if you're not exercising or you're not eating properly or something you're a bad person Right. Like there really is an, an equivalent there. It is really hard because it kind of like what you said before, I feel like there's a fine line because 
I also have conversations frequently about exercise and everybody knows exercise is important. So like, I'm not blowing anyone's mind when like yeah. I'm at the clinic and, and I'm like, Hey, you know what? It'd probably be a good idea to exercise more. Right. So, but going beyond just, Hey, you know, exercise more. I often will tell people that it's my preference if people can find things that they really enjoy doing. So when I, I once in a while I'll go to a gym, uh, like a, like a, old fashioned sort of box gym where it's, yeah. like, you know, there's miles and miles of treadmills lined up yeah. and then, and then the next row there's miles and miles of recumbent bicycles and, you know, and people are there and, and this is a huge stereotype. I mean, there's all kinds of people there, but when I go there, I, it, it feels like I'm surrounded by zombies. It, it, yeah. it, it feels like nobody is there because they're passionately like loving what they're doing. They're like, I'm here to do the 30 minutes that my doctor said I had to do or whatever so that I yeah. don't die or whatever. And so I don't die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like it's you, true. You know what it's I'm saying? True. I mean, it's Absolutely. Like, there's the people that are like, they're forcing exercise because there, there's, there's a, there's the people that don't exercise. And then B there's the people that are forcing exercise. They're like, I hate exercise, but I do it because I have to. Yeah. And then because of whatever reason they think they have to, I don't want to be fat or I don't want to die or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then there's the, the other people are the people that love movement. I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the, the category that I placed myself into. I mean, I, I love moving. I, and yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I like triathlon more than running cause I get to do three different things. Yeah. I, I love parkour. Like I love doing like all these and I'm not good at parkour or anything. I just, I just really think it's a lot of fun when I go do it once in a while. Like I just love playing and moving and being in my body and being in nature too and stuff. And sometimes, sometimes I'll be active with my kids and sometimes I take my dog for a run and sometimes I'm out by myself. And it all counts. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's, it, just because you're not in a gym doesn't mean that it's not exercise. Right. Like so all my, those things you listed, yes, it's exercise. To my point is like, it's, it feels so sad when I go there and I was just at the gym with my brother a week or two ago. And it, that, that was also a lot of fun for him and I, we played some racquetball, which I do like one, about as often as I water ski, like once every year or two, you know? Yeah. And, but it's a ton of fun. And, and, and I had a ton of fun doing it, but I go there and I, and I just get this weird squelched feeling like, oh my gosh, these poor zombies that are just doing yeah. this, you know? And so I try to encourage people to find something that they love doing. And then the quote unquote exercise is like a byproduct, right? It's yeah. just, it, you're, you're doing it because you love it. I'm so good at tangents and I am just realizing that I'm on one because I can't remember what my point is here. No, I, I love what you're saying though. That is, I'm right on board with that. And sometimes, especially like runners and, and triathletes and stuff, like they'll burn out. I, I burnt myself out. I was, I was racing a lot. I did 68 races in, uh, in five years. Wow. And okay, the only lot. reason I know that is because I, I actually got rid of all the medals, you know, the finisher medals. <laughs> yeah. I had them all in this big box and it was moving across the country from Toronto to Vancouver. And I, like, I don't need to bring these with me. And I sat down and I counted them. I was like, holy crap, 68. That's ridiculous. 
So I got rid of most of them. I gave them to this charity that actually gives them to kids with terminal illnesses. So every time they finish a, a new procedure, they're oh, given really? a medal. Oh, it, wow. Yeah, it's a really nice nice way. If anybody's looking for something to give away their medals to, congratulations, Brock. Oh, okay. Yeah, luckily no, no, it doesn't say the name on. It. <laughs> but yeah, I think these are these are kids that aren't necessarily reading them. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, and at the end of that, like I just kept. I was in this mindset of. I'm a triathlete. I got to sign up for some races. I'm a marathon. I got to sign up for races. And I forced myself to sign up for these races for a little while. And then one day I was like, what am I doing? I don't enjoy this anymore. Mm. And I completely changed my approach. I haven't had a gym membership in coming up on like three years now. Yeah. All my workouts take place in my living room or my surrounding area. So I've got a, there's a playground about three blocks away from the house. And if I get there early enough, there are no kids. So I don't have to feel weird and creepy, but I'll go and like use the Hello monkey. Away, kids. Yeah, <laughs> out of the way, kids. I'm on the monkey bars right now, kids. Um, so I'll do. Keep here. Yeah. And there's like, there's some hills that I'll go and, sure. and run some hill repeats every once in a while. I've got my, my bike, like my road bike. I've got my, my commuter bike. I'll go out for bike rides and just like really, keeping myself active in the most pleasing way in the moment. Like, so every day I get some snippet of exercise, but it's not going to the gym and doing the same routine over and over again. And I think a lot of the time people think that exercise has to make you out of breath, has to make you sweaty, has to make you sore, like the no pain, no gain kind of attitude. And we know that is not true. Like low level aerobic activity, like walking, is extremely healthful and extremely beneficial in so many ways to your joints, to your cardiovascular system, to your your um, metabolic health, all of that stuff. Plain old walking is amazing. Just getting off the bus a little bit early, going up some stairs, like going out for, for a long walk with some friends. And again, to your point of like you go to the gym and you see all these zombies and, and stuff on the treadmills, Converse, not, to be, not to be judgmental, you know. I mean, I'm just no, no. Just, Some people just, really just, makes me, just makes me sad. I'm not saying like bad for them or anything. Just but take those same people and put them like in Vancouver. I live really close to the seawall, and there's uh, people constantly just like walking up and down there, riding their bikes, taking their dogs for walks. You see these groups of of people out for walks together, or even like people with their their headphones on, like doing business calls and stuff, walking along the seawall. And you look into their eyes versus the people who are on the treadmills or at the elliptical machines at the gym, and often there's such a difference. Like the joy of being outside and walking with a friend and and chit-chatting. Sure, they're not getting as huge a workout because they're not maybe cranking the treadmill up to 15 and, and increasing the incline, but the benefits of being outdoors and actually enjoying yourself outweigh the the fact that they're not getting a huge sweat on by far. Right, so, right. So yeah, I'm totally in alignment with what you're saying. Like find something that you really enjoy and it doesn't have to be the same thing every day. No, the variety is so, so good. So good. Hey man, uh, I have really enjoyed this time. I, I got to cut us off so that we can uh, keep this a reasonable length for yeah. people. But Sorry but, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Eight hours later. Um, no, I, I, I definitely really see eye to eye on a lot of your philosophies. I really enjoyed this time. So thank you very much. Uh, I'd love to have you on and have another conversation at another time. But can you leave, uh, leave the listeners with uh, your, your best health tip, your number one health tip? 
My number one health tip, and this is we brought it up a few times during this conversation, is sleep. Okay. Like you've got to start focusing on sleep again. Like we've sacrificed sleep in our society way too much. Start protecting your sleep, whether that's going to bed earlier, whether it's sleeping a little bit later, whether it's changing the lighting in your bedroom, putting blackout curtains in, getting a pair of good earplugs that are comfortable, um, experimenting with some things like magnesium before bed, um, blue blocker glasses so you're not exposing yourself to the blue light, even if you are wanting to uh, to watch Netflix before you go to bed. At least do something to mitigate the damage of of shining a bright light right in your face right before you go to sleep. Um, yeah, just protect your sleep and, and it'll make a huge difference. I heard a, a guy named Dr. Uh, Kirk Parsley was speaking at the Unbeatable Mind Conference. And he oh, yeah, and Rob... He's w- like an ex-Marine or Navy SEAL? Yeah, he's like a that? Navy SEAL, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. You should have him on the podcast, actually, if uh, yeah, if you can. He's an yeah, amazing guy. Parsley. Yeah, Doc, Doc, Doc Parsley. Um, but he uh, he said, and Rob Wolf actually agreed with him at the same conference that you sh- there's you have no business. I think this is how he phrased it. You have no business being on an exercise program until you have your diet and your sleep dialed in, mm. because they are so important. Like eating properly and sleeping properly, trump all. If you don't have those dialed in, it doesn't. Exercise is just going to make things worse. God, it's true, and I hate even saying that because it's like I'm always trying to harp on people to get them moving more, but yeah. it, is, it is true. They're all so important, and it's like what you said earlier. If you go out and like, oh, I just, I just you know, went on a six-hour bike ride so I can eat whatever I want, actually, because you stressed yourself, that's so much more the reason that you have to be like taking in the alkaline greens and, yeah, and give your body something to rebuild itself, not uh, something to punish itself more. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying exercise is bad, people. For someone that's like hearing this and thinking, oh, I don't have to exercise because I don't sleep well. <laughs> you need to sleep well <laughs> and you need to exercise. <laughs> yeah. But make one change at a time, too. If you're, if you're feeling overwhelmed, focus on the sleep. If, you're sleep. if you feel like your sleep's okay, focus on the diet. If you feel like your diet's okay, take it to the next level. Start focusing on, on the other things. But I'm, that's my biggest health tip right now is to get that sleep figured out do what you need to do. Nice, nice. Okay, that's awesome, man. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you again next time. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. All right, gang, there you have it. Brock Skywalker. Number one health tip, sleep better. I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation today. But here's the bottom line. If we don't take any action, nothing is going to change. So, I'm giving you a sleep challenge. I want you to do something that's going to improve your sleep today. If you have something in mind that you've been wanting to do, great, go for that. If not, here are three different options. If you have an iPhone 6 or newer, you can get the latest update and they introduce something called night shift. If you go into your options, just set that to sunset to sunrise, it'll automatically block some of that blue light that Brock and I were talking about that overstimulates your brain at night. So obviously the best thing you guys is actually to just turn the screens off a couple hours before bedtime, but not everyone does that. I don't do that. Uh, I'm trying to get that into my life more and 
uh, I still use some of these things that, that I'm going to challenge you to use right now because uh, we just use our screens a ton these days. So if you're still using your screens before bed, I recommend if you have an iPhone, get Night Shift and, and put that on your phone. If you have an Android, I am not as familiar with those, but I'm sure that there's something similar uh, either now or very soon. Here's the second one. If you want to do something with your computer instead, you can download Flux for your computer. This is a, actually it's a free resource. I'm, I'm actually surprised it's free. I, I'm, I haven't looked into why they're doing this. Obviously, it's something that they just want to get out to the public and they, they want to help everyone. It's an awesome resource and I would take them up on it. I'm going to list in the show notes a link there, but you can go to justgetflux.com and it's just seriously free, you guys. You can download it and then you set the times or I believe you can set it to sunrise to sunset, something like that, or an hour before sunset or something like that. You can just set that up in your preferences, but literally you download it to your computer for free. It's on there and that too, it'll do the same thing that Night Shift does on the iPhone, but these guys have been doing it for a few years. Apple just finally instigated this couple weeks ago or a week ago for Night Shift, but Flux is something that has been going on for a few years and it's great. It's I have it on my computer. It works great. It just blocks that blue light. So again, you're not overstimulating your brain late at night if you're uh, if you're on that screen a little bit closer to bedtime than would be optimal. And then here's the third option, you guys. I would recommend doing both of those things if you want, but here's the third thing. You can purchase blue light blocking glasses. And again, on the show note page at www.drchrisfrickman.com slash Skywalker. What an awesome name, Brock Skywalker Armstrong. You can just go there and I just posted a link to some glasses that they're one good option, you guys. There's actually a ton of different options. So feel free to research it at your heart's content if you wish. But I just wanted to put up something so that you could take action really fast if you wanted to. So if you go to www.drchrisfrickman.com slash Skywalker, you can see all three of those options. I have links for all of them. I also have links to Brock's websites, uh, his email um, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he's offered a 50% off his consult if you just email him at brock at skywalkerfitness.ca and mention the discount code VIBRANT. He's offered to give half off. So if you're looking for an endurance coach, check him out. See if he's a good fit for you at half off. Here's to your vibrant potential. Visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting-edge content, including nutrition and detoxification advice, unique fitness videos, and more. 